Hey there, and welcome to the Heart of a Mill Spouse podcast, where we focus on re-sparking your inner purpose using empowered action and personal growth tools. I'm Jayla Ray Ardeline, your host and late career Army Mill Spouse. I joined this lifestyle later in life and the learning curve was gigantic. Since the day I said yes to this relationship over five years ago, I've been collecting and curating personal growth tools to support you. So excited you've tuned in. Welcome to the Late Career Mill Spouse series. I coined this term because I wanted to find a way to recognize those spouses who don't have the typical lifestyle experience. For example, I met my husband when I was 25 and we were both on fully solidified career tracks already. Him as an 11 year infantry army officer and mine as a recent master's graduate in the creative nonfiction space brimming with excitement about the world of literary journals and publishing that I would actually never enter. Then bam, he dropped impending orders and how he had a big choice to make. Fort Leavenworth or Rome, Italy. Also, did I mention that he was divorced with a gaggle of kids? (laughs) Before I knew it, we were moving to Rome unmarried and I fell back into serving at restaurants, namely Applebee's, (laughs) quickly after the overseas journey ended. It took me years to find steady employment commensurate with my education level, and the fact that we moved every year for five years straight didn't help. Unfortunately, I'm not the only one with a similar tale. Many of us late career mill spouses had to make significant sacrifices to our careers, and some of us stepped into existing family structures as well. This means a ton of identity questioning as a result, and it often goes hand in hand with a complicated history with the military as well. In this series, you'll get to meet more spouses who fit this category. I believe there is power in sharing our struggles and naming why military life was difficult for us to adjust to. Enjoy. Hey there, welcome back to the Heart of a Mill Spouse podcast. Today I am joined by Jessica Wright. So Jessica lives in Seattle area with her Navy spouse and dachshund, Hershey. This is something we have in common. (laughs) She's an Enneagram too and enjoys cooking, baking, crafting, and drinking coffee. Jessica is obsessed with degrees and programs that have the word transformation in them because she believes in seeking continual growth and learning how to embrace change. I'll include the rest of her bio in the show notes so that you can check her out. But otherwise, Jessica, I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Of course. Yay. Okay. So let's dive in, but let's first start with how you met your husband and what your awareness level of the military was prior (laughs) to that meeting. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, so we met when I was 30, uh, we met on OkCupid, a dating app (laughs) and, uh, we lived about 60 miles apart. I was down in Seattle and he was up on the base. So it was interesting. I, um, swore that I would never be with someone in the military. Oh my God. Um, I was, yeah, I was actually the, at the time, the pastor of a Mennonite church, which if you know anything about Mennonites, they're not so into the military. (laughs) So I had an extra uh, dose of, I will never date someone in the military, but you know, I'm not sure how many of our listeners know this, but the best way to scare someone away on a dating app is to tell them that you're a pastor. Uh, it's a great way to get ghosted. Oh, wow. and so when I started talking to my husband, my now husband, he did not get scared away. He asked really good questions and he did not have what he did in his profile. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky boy. And, uh, when I asked him and he said what he did, I was like, uh, oh, I, this, this could be a problem. However, we've been talking for a few days. I already really like him. And you know what? He asked me really good questions when I told him what I did. And I think I owe him the same. 
And a few days later, we met up for the first time in person. And I just, yeah, wow. and yeah, that was it. I knew I couldn't let him go. So um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was an interesting start. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much we were going to have in common when it comes to <laughs> meeting our spouse. Uh, mm-hmm. so I'll just, if no one has ever heard me say this before, Jeremy and I met on Tinder. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and we both were more or less serial monogamous. And so we were kind of just on Tinder to just like date around and have fun. Um, uh, it was then later known as a hookup app mm-hmm. <laughs> and at this time i don't think it had, had like quite hit that mark yeah no judgment i was on tinder as well okay. for the same reason for okay. a while yeah, yeah that's fine <laughs> <laughs> but he also didn't include what he did in his in his bio Ugh. but i remember his bio pretty i think i wrote it in an essay at some point i should uncover it because <laughs> It was hilarious. He clearly had no idea what he was doing. And I found that very endearing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think he said he worked for the government, which I was no. like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> like, so sneaky. I know that could mean so many different things, but mm-hmm. the fact that you were on, you know, this dating app and everything, and people were like, shying away from the fact that you were a pastor and he was just like, no, tell me more. I was actually curious about that. Um, I think it says so much. Uh, There's always those like red flags that pop up pretty quickly because in that environment on those apps, it just, it's just so easy to like swipe or turn away from somebody. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, nope, 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 nope. Lots of nopes, a few yeses. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think he messaged me first on the app and asked um, a question like, do you prefer Backstreet or Backstreet Boys or NSYNC? Like that was his opening question. And I later found out that's what he asked everyone. That was like a form question. I fell for it. However, I was like, just the fact that you sent me like two full complete sentences with no grammatical errors instead of like just hey or hi or yo was like I don't even care that it was a form question it, you were like leaps and bounds beyond everyone else um I can't believe someone else didn't respond to him first honestly I feel I feel lucky because I'm sure I'm not the only one who's had that experience <laughs> absolutely yeah oh my gosh the opening line I don't I mean I, I do remember us having a conversation for probably about a day on the app and then we kind of like migrated off mm-hmm. and we were texting each other but just mm-hmm. the, yeah I <laughs> I kind of wanted to know more about his experience on the app like once we actually met in person and it was same, same. we were gonna be yeah. we were gonna be yeah. together this was a thing yeah. um but at the same time I also didn't want to know <laughs> yeah like, I don't know if you fed me any lines. I don't know if I really want to know that. Like, it's fine. <laughs> I wanted to know everything. And I asked, I like grilled him about his, I just, cause I'm so, I was so curious about like the, um, well, like in our heterosexual relationship, I'm, I'm interested about the other, other sides experience. Cause as a female, I've had like, as a side female, I've had like lots of, conversations with other people who identify that way and gotten their experience and so I was very curious about what it was like from the other side (laughs) okay gotcha so then you meet in person and you guys had been talking so like you knew mostly professional what was happening in each of your professional lives but like what were can anyone ever really know (laughs) yeah what were the details that he left out until you guys met in person (laughs) uh like all of them um I knew he was in the navy and I knew that he was in a jet. Um, I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know the Navy had what I would have called airplanes at that time. <laughs> I knew that he was just getting out of like his training squadron and getting ready to move into sort of <clears throat> the real deal. Um, but I didn't know what that meant. And I'm still not sure. (laughs) I knew that he was an officer. He had started out 
in the Navy one year in the band, so as an enlisted, um, and then transitioned into being an officer. Didn't fully understand that whole process or what that meant. Um, so yeah, I knew very little. Um, I knew he was like looking at probably traveling a lot in the near future. Yeah, that's it. That's all I knew. Wow. I know. And I, the reason I ask about not only awareness level of like what military life would consist of prior mm -hmm. to it, and also their particular role, like what you mm -hmm. understood about their role is because one of the big challenges I've seen amongst late career male spouses is that it actually takes us so much longer to understand and grasp their roles and how they fit into like the puzzle pieces of military experience because our awareness level was so little prior to that moment and they've already been doing this for a while like they've they've already started their career and you're meeting them at some sort of like midpoint or even a few years in which is like light years time like you mm -hmm. can fit so much into just three to five years um within a military career and it, it changes so rapidly too when you talk about training cycles or you know changing his role from enlisted to officer status like that's a big that's a big jump and like how would we know how to describe that to someone else or talk about that with people who then have a bunch of questions of like okay you met somebody in the military what does that mean now yeah well and just even from the service member side like how it must be so hard to talk about it and describe it. I mean, there's the issue one of what you're allowed to talk about and what you're not allowed to talk about, but then even just at a connection level of, I haven't gone through this. I don't, I don't know. And so how does he put it into language that I'm going to be able to connect with? <laughs> I think, I think the thing he tried that like sort of helped, but also now I'm like, that actually didn't help at all. But at the time he was like, have you seen Top Gun? Like, I'm kind of like goose. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I had seen Top Gun like 15 years before that. And I hadn't even finished it. I didn't know. Okay. Spoiler alert. I didn't know goose died. So later after we had been together for a while, I watched it and I was like, oh my God dies like why did you tell me that <laughs> what if I had seen it? I like you know yeah it was mildly terrifying so it's like those pop cultural references that people try to use or whatever it's just not it's not at all what it is and so I can only imagine from their perspective too that it must be so challenging to get someone up to speed you know when right. honestly they're probably trying to just fight to stay up to speed as well so yeah, and using Top Gun as a particular example is like attempting to get that person up to speed, but then there's a ton of <laughs> um, a ton of like qualifying statements to that too. Of like, okay, this is what they dramatize for film. <laughs> it isn't actually accurate. However, these pieces of information are accurate, and it's like so confusing. <laughs> yeah. The the lines get blurred really fast. I think like between what is movie and what is an actual accurate representation of military life and because it's so blurry like those things kind of stick in your mind too like how, i mean the fact that he even used that as a reference tool how can you not think of like goose for example <laughs> and just like melt down every once in a while that that is possibly going to happen to him <laughs> i know i know yeah it's really funny because like with Top Gun 2 coming out soon, um, I'm sure like we'll be watching the first one and we're definitely going to go watch the second one. And like, it's something like, I feel like they love watching it, but then they also love like pointing out all of the things that are wrong. Yeah. About they become it. a critic, like in a yeah. heart. <laughs> Which is like kind of annoying, but also really entertaining too, in some ways. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, hard on both sides. I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges I experienced was, and I'm still experiencing is that I just never feel like I'm caught up, you know, for compared to those people who have been through it with their partner from the beginning. Um, 
you know, at first it was like catching up on the acronyms, which is never going to be possible. And then just trying to figure out like when he was where and did what and what that meant. And like the timeline of the career gets really confusing. Um, So all of that on top of just living this really hard lifestyle, it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And how many years have y'all been together now? Um, We have known each other. We started dating about six years ago and we've been married for a little over three. Okay. So it's been a while. We're Mm -hmm. we're actually very similar. So we've been together for um, seven years this month, uh, Mm -hmm. five, five married. Um, so we're, we're definitely in the same, like the same zone of time where we're like, okay, we understand a lot more than we did when we first entered. Absolutely. And just like you said, it still feels like catching up. And I totally relate to you when you say keeping their career timeline before you entered their life is so murky. Like I, (laughs) I mean, I think it's helpful that my husband has a former marriage and children to kind of anchor those bits of information. Mm -hmm. Like those are really good time markers, but I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't possibly like keep in mind the full, you know, 10 years, 11 years that he experienced in the military before I even walked into his life. Like that is such an, (laughs) it's such a long amount of time that it gets to be really confusing. So I, I think that's another challenge that has been, has been reinforced to me in having these conversations that you kind of, you do always feel like you're trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how do you, how do you cope with that? Or do you have any, I don't know, tools, tips, and tricks that you can share, or is it just more about being comfortable with the fact that it is uncomfortable? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think it's that. And I mean, I appreciate that my husband is very patient with me as I try to like map it out in my life um, or map it out in our life. I, what's been really helpful for me is um, we've actually gone to a few of the the places where he's lived and, and done different things, different programs. And being in those places has kind of helped me all of a sudden now when he tells stories, I have, I have a picture of a place in my mind uh, not that every base doesn't look the same, but you know, <laughs> there are like some like, you know, different markers in my mind and just, uh, being there with him and like hearing him talk about that in that place has helped a lot. And so we just went on our honeymoon finally, after a few years of being married to the Northeast, uh, us <clears throat> and, we stopped at the place he went to officer Canada school. And that was one of the places that I was just like, I cannot imagine or picture this. And I, I always forget when it happened in his transition from being enlisted to officer. And for me, like in my, my logic says it would be the first thing you did, but not necessarily, you know, like it just made no sense to me when he did this. Um, so actually being there has helped and, and stopping by a few of the other places he's lived has been helpful and just kind of hearing him tell stories and see where he, you know, was at that point, but that's, you know, that's not possible for everyone. I realize, but that has been really helpful. And I'm still like, I'm still piecing together the timeline y'all. And I'm, I'm grateful he's patient with me because I ask so many times when he did things. And he's like, uh, I think I told you that already. I'm like, I know you told me that already, but it did not stick. Tell me again. Yeah. You gotta tell me again. again. You slash this won't be the last time either. So (laughs) and has he been able to do the same with you and kind of chart? your life prior to meeting him has that I I wonder if there's been a certain I guess the same amount of like attention and care to charting the trajectory of your life prior Mm -hmm. to meeting him as much as there's been that emphasis on on him and his career and what that means for military life yeah well I think it's uh not as hard to chart my life I grew up in Ohio and moved out to Seattle when I was 26 
so he has been to Ohio. He's been to, you know, where I went to college, where I grew up. Um, so that makes it a little easier. I've had a lot of different careers in my life. And so that's probably what gets a little more confusing for him, rightfully so. Um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, let's be honest, like, I don't know that he has the time or energy to do that as much as maybe I do. Um, like traveling different places is a challenge. Like Mm -hmm. going home to see family is hard to fit in. So I think that there's a little bit more of a, of a time and energy issue there when it comes to that. But that being said, my life has had (laughs) a few less twists and turns. So it's more career wise for me that, that there've been a lot of changes. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that up. Cause I definitely wanted to spend a moment on that today with you. Uh, how many career pivots <laughs> have you had to make as someone with an advanced degree? Like what you don't get, need to give me your whole trajectory today. But <laughs> I want to give, give listeners a sense of how many times this, this has happened in your life as a result of meeting your husband, but maybe even prior to that too, that was, had nothing to do with military life. Yeah. I would say most of the pivots happened before him. Um, I've recently at the beginning of this year, left the pastor job that I was in when we met and, uh, transitioned to full-time coaching and certainly the flexibility required to be a military spouse helped in making that decision. Um, however, coaching just fits my skills and personality a lot better too. So it it wasn't all because of that, but that certainly was a perk. (laughs) Uh, most of my career pivots have been before he and I met. Um, I've done a lot of different things. My undergraduate is in music education and I never was actually a music teacher. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've done a lot of different things since then. I mean, that's partially what I what I coach people on too. I think all of those are huge parts of me. And, and I've experienced this feeling with him and also with like my friends out here in Seattle. But there are parts of my identity and parts of me that still feel very real and big that the people I love the most out here have no idea about, like, they don't know me as a musician. And I still feel, even though real talk, I haven't touched my clarinet in years. I still feel like a clarinetist. Like that was such a huge part of my formation and life. I was an event planner after college. That was so influential to how I just run my life And yet people out here don't know me as that. I think that that's true for both uh, my my marriage and my other close relationships, that that's just always a challenge. Yeah, I love that you're bringing, uh, bringing identity into this conversation because... Folding military spouse into our existing, like the existing fabric of all of our identities is such a big challenge when we've led so much of our life prior to meeting our spouse. And I'm not saying it's not challenging for other military spouses who actually move up, you know, move up in the ranks and have all of these cornerstone military life experiences from the beginning of their, you know, early on in their life and from the beginning of their relationships. Um, But when you when you enter this lifestyle and you are now a military spouse or a military significant other, and it's asking a lot of you, it's asking a lot from you to change your own life circumstances. Uh, When it comes to that identity, did you have any resentment or rejection or or anything did you feel any of those things when you guys first met and it doesn't even have to be like it's not his fault right it's just something it's a it's a transition it's it is kind of a transformation that you go through so i'd love to hear more about that yeah totally um no it's definitely not our service members fault and i feel 
pretty lucky. We, you know, we've been together these six years and we're still living in the same place as, you know, when we met. Um, well, except for he and I are together in the same house, but you know, um, well, that's a transition in of itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, but still together, you know, still in the same area. I left my previous job because I wanted to do this new thing, not because I had to. So I'm just listing out all the the disclaimers that I know I haven't gone through what a lot of others have. I haven't had the PCS yet. Um, I'm sure it'll happen at some point, but I, you know, haven't had to go through that yet this is true military or not, when you meet someone, when you meet your partner, when you're older, you're already pretty established and you're bringing a pretty strong sense of who you are, what you want, what you believe to that relationship. And as are they, and it's kind of sad that 30 is like considered older when meeting your partner, but whatever. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. Probably it's just, it's just different. Like dating is different at that age because you, you know, you called your, you and your husband serial monogamous. Like we were too, because we knew that's what we wanted. We knew we wanted to be married people and, um, or at least very seriously committed partnered people. And that just changes how you, how you date. I like I knew within a couple months I wanted to marry him. I didn't tell him that. And he has affirmed that it's probably good. I didn't tell him that, but like, I just, I, I was like, I was with every person I met, I'm like, I'm in or I'm out. You know, I knew it immediately. And with him, I knew I was in. And so when you show up already pretty established like that to then this military world, which I hope I don't make anyone mad here, but I truly believe that the military is like the system. It, it kind of tries to break you down to become who they need you to be. Oh, you're definitely not going to piss anyone off by saying that, Jessica. Like, I, like they do that for the service people, right? Like that's part of the training programs. And I think that in a way they do it for, for significant other spouses and families too. Like, they need the family to operate in a certain way for their system to work and showing up as a pretty established and aware person into a system like that is really hard and figuring out what kind of military spouse or partner you want to be is really hard. I think that in some ways, those of us who are late career mill spouses, uh, your term, we have a bit of an advantage that we have a slightly stronger sense of identity. Well, mm, I don't want to say that. We have an advantage that we've had some practice claiming our identity. And outside of the military, but our disadvantage is that it's, it's can be a lot stronger. And that process of trying to break it down is very painful. It's hard. It's hard to figure out how you fit and how you can be supportive and how you can also ask for support. Um, I just, the military system, it's not, it's not meant for families. It's not meant for spouses and it's not meant for families. That's not how it was created hundreds of years ago. <laughs> it was for single men to, you know, go out and fight. And I feel like they think we're a distraction and sometimes, and it's really hard to deal with that because I don't feel like a distraction. I feel like, I want to be a supportive partner who is also my own individual self and creating good things in the world as well. That's how I view myself. And I don't always understand why they can't view me. That. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're speaking to something that is so deeply seated when it comes to this topic of identity and it's true that this system was designed for individuals. And 
I mean, feeling like a distraction, I, I guess I interpret that like slightly differently, I think, but I think we're, we're going to get to the same point. So let me, let me back up just a little bit. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a big conversation online and on social media about not viewing yourself as just a military spouse. And I think that lens, we may feel it too as late career male spouses, but I think that lens actually gets imposed upon us. Whereas if you're speaking to a spouse who has been with their service member for 10, like 10 years or more, and they have moved up, you know, they've, they've experienced a lot of these military life cornerstone things already. So they have all of this experience under their belt. And yet because of military life circumstances, they haven't really been able to formulate their own identity outside of being a military spouse. Of course, of course, to them, if they want to say, well, I would like to work too. I'm not just a mom. I'm not just here to support my service member. I have all of these other goals and, and missions and things that I want to complete in my life. This idea that they are just a military spouse is not only offensive, <laughs> but is that also kind of what you're saying when it comes to feeling as though you are you are a distraction because if you raise your hand and you say like i want more out of this marriage out of this relationship and out of my individuality do you think that that detracts from the service members ability to like go hard go fast and do everything inside of their career i think historically the narrative was yes but i don't actually believe that it needs to do that. Right. Like, I just want to give my husband some credit here. Um, and I don't think he's the only one, but they are capable of being good partners and excellent service members. Mm -hmm. Like as we can compartmentalize and wear many hats and deal with a lot of things, so can they. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I think yeah, what you're saying, absolutely. And I also just feel like there's that ancient, or well, it does feel kind of ancient, um, but that past narrative of like, you know, when your service member's on deployment, don't tell them that every appliance broke down, that you're sick, that you're, you know, like all of that stuff. I'm, I'm just like, <laughs> I know, it's just like, screw that. I can't, I, I need him to like, help me decide what we're going to replace and what we're going to wait on. And like, you know, why wouldn't he want to know what was happening with his house? Like <laughs> I'm doing my best at our second deployment. I got pretty sick while he was away and I fell into the trap of not telling him how serious it was. And I, I told him enough, but, um, so that he knew something was happening, but then later, once he got home, I was like, oh, by the way, I almost went to the hospital. You know, it was like all this stuff later. And he's like, what? <laughs> just like, why wouldn't you tell me that? You know? And I think I just, yeah, I got really overwhelmed and I fell into that, that narrative um, that, that, that I would be a distraction. And um, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I think he's capable of handling it and to, to hide myself and my needs that way is really problematic. Um, not just for me, but also for our relationship. Yeah. And I think I want to be clear about that. There's a lot of different types of deployment as well. And if we're, if we're talking about a life threatening combat deployment, I agree that shielding just a little bit more about what you share with them is probably a good idea. <laughs> but <laughs> does that mean all of it and never saying anything and never communicating your desires and your needs? Like, no. Um, but you almost went to the hospital and like he didn't know about it. So if we play out that scenario, let's say you did go to the hospital, you then needed to uh, have surgery, for example, and he has no idea where you are and mm -hmm. why he cannot get a hold of you. 
-hmm. that's like, that is very problematic. That's like, that's going down a path to where it's going to cause, you know, so much, like he may resent you for that later. Like very, very serious. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's may not only be experiencing a life threatening deployment thing, but then you're over here also experiencing your potentially life threatening issue. And so Mm -hmm. kind of holding those two things at an equal measure without feeling like you are detracting or a quote unquote distraction or, or however, you know, we want to phrase that would be, would be so important. And I mean, speaking from a deployment lens as well, like there have been times where, and I've said this before, but Jeremy is not, this is not a combat deployment. Yes. He's in a combat zone. It's not what he's there to do. He has a lot of privileges that have not been afforded to him in past deployments and he effing deserves it <laughs> at this point <laughs> in his career. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's earned his stripes, so to speak, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, there have been times where I was experiencing circumstantial depression, like during this deployment. And I shared all of that with him and yes, he was concerned and he was worried for me and he definitely hopped into how can I fix this mentality to which I had, I then had to say, there's nothing to fix. I just need you to listen. I just need you to validate. That's it. Um, but I can tell you right now that when I, when I've shared that I shared so much with him, with other military spouses who have a older lens when it comes to the military, that has caused contention. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I uh, will refute that over and over again because it was important for him to understand where I was at in that journey. This is a year long deployment. The journey has been in a freaking roller coaster of emotions. Um, and I, I think it, it, it's also an opportunity to connect deeper. Like that's the thing that you are so fearful of losing while they are away and just sharing more about what's going on with you, like hopefully does foster deeper connection. And it takes the conversation to, to an intimate place versus like, oh, you know, I got caught in traffic today or I don't know, whatever, like whatever else you talk about when you can speak to each other. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And like, there are a lot of forms of intimacy and certainly the common ones get challenging when in these types of situations. And so to me, it's like, you have to share that. Like you have to do that kind of stuff because it is so crucial for not just keeping a relationship together, but actually building it while they're away. Like that was so hard for me. Uh, So in his first deployment, we were still dating and still lived farther apart. And I think some people thought it wouldn't be as hard for me as it was. But like I said before, I was already in on him, you know, Um, that was about a year into us dating. And I really struggled. I, I was very scared ahead of time with the idea that our relationship wasn't going to keep growing, that it was going to just kind of pause for that six months or however long I found the opposite to be true. Like we had to dig into other areas via conversation that were really important and our relationship did grow, but that was a huge fear of mine before that first deployment. And I think even the second deployment, even once I knew should have known better, I still got scared about that and, and probably will again. Um, because that idea of just kind of pausing and and becoming stagnant is, it it doesn't feel good. No, it, it feels like the, uh, the exact not point of a relationship, like Mm -hmm. you're supposed to continually be growing. And unfortunately, and fortunately, like these, these kinds of military life experiences uh, can catapult that, like accelerate that. And they can also put hard stop to things that you, you weren't anticipating or expecting either. So this, this fear of losing connection and also just this sense of intimacy 
in other ways aside from physical intimacy that is obviously not available <laughs> is is so scary and i've i've experienced it as well it's like we oh my gosh we are so close with one another and being apart and figuring out ways to remain feeling that close is so incredibly challenging, way more challenging than I want it to be. Um, but we've also kind of developed, I don't know if you could say like a code, but like, you know what I mean? Like when you're just mm -hmm. when you're texting each other, for example, I don't know if you were, I, I realize it's very like privileged that I even get to text him. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are waiting for an email, <laughs> you know, weeks at a time and not hearing anything. So I, I recognize that. But there's just sort of been like this little code of like, okay, that now we're going to enter into what's really going on with us and to just leave the surface behind. Um, but that has taken, uh, you know, months and months and months to develop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like during deployment, my experience was that it took a while to find the groove. And then all of a sudden it was time for them to come back. And it was like, I don't. I mean, obviously I'm happy and would prefer that, but I also don't quite remember how to do this in person. <laughs> right. So it's, right. yeah, there's always something, always something to adapt and change and learn. And oh, it's, it's good. I think being a military spouse um, gives us so many good challenges that once we're through, we're better off, but um, uh, that sounds... I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I think we're better than other people. That's not what I mean. I mean, we're just, we're better off as people um, understanding how to navigate that kind of stuff. But going through all of that stuff is, you know, rough. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I'm preaching, preaching to the choir here. But. Oh, no, no. I just, I think the more we say statements like that, it online on a podcast, whatever forum in person at a speaking event. Um, it's amazing how, I mean, I always feel like it's so, it's such, a, it's such an obvious thing to say. Why do we mm -hmm. need to say that it's so hard and it's challenging? And then I have to <laughs> remind myself um, because somebody out there listening to this right now is thinking this shouldn't be that hard or it's not as hard as I'm making it out to be or just completely like invalidating and wiping away their own feelings and even using you know the bullcrap language that is sometimes fed to us about like well you you chose this life you knew what you were getting into yeah you knew what you were getting into like you know those kinds of statements as well like we do we can inflict that upon ourselves because it's mm -hmm. what we hear societally so just even saying it was hard this is challenging brings so much more acceptance and connection in this community than I think anybody like realizes mm -hmm. just just saying that and and I've I've felt that way too when I've heard other military spouses say it like this aspect is hard there's no sure you can put on your best mindset and you can try to see the good in it and you know find the lessons and all of those things it does not negate the fact that it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had someone tell me during our first deployment or my, sorry, the second deployment that all I needed to do was like, think about this as an opportunity to put the bedspread on that I want and like light the candles that I want. And, <laughs> and I was like, uh, I kind of already do that. <laughs> and also... <laughs> And also, no, like I'm not, this isn't a vacation for me. <laughs> I want to be with this person and I'm best when I'm with them. And so now I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to be my best self without them physically present and I, I, changing the bedspread isn't going to help. Like that's not... <laughs> That's not I mean, what I that's need. That's just so, that's just like cosmetic. That doesn't, that's <laughs> yeah. not, that's not addressing the inner workings yeah. of what's happening with our minds and our emotions. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it said, it says way more about where they were in their relationship. But you and I, like we, okay. Like, <laughs>
we're coaches in the personal development space. Like hearing yeah. people say stuff like that to us is, mm-hmm. is yeah. And who else, who else might they have said that to? And like, I, I, I was able to be like, ah, uh, nope, <laughs> but Not who else? Yeah. yeah. Who else did heard it? That was like, oh gosh, I need to like have a way better attitude about this. And, you know, like what did that do to them? That's, that's where my mind goes. Like I, I get really, um, protective of people who are not able to, to process that yet. Wow. Well, okay. that's still out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll never hear something like that from me. Me either. I yeah. do that right now. Um, so we only have a few minutes left, but because I know that you're into the Enneagram, I wondered when you were talking about not disclosing certain needs or how you were feeling about things while he was away. I wondered how your Enneagram type was acting as a filter in those cases. And and if you've been able to like make any of those, any of those connections since then. Oh yeah. I'm a textbook too. Like, (laughs) you know, they're always like, oh, women, especially be careful. If you think if you come up with a two on a test, which I know we're not supposed to take, but if you do that, like be careful because there's social conditioning and all that, but yes, oh, absolutely. But I am a textbook too. Right. And I mistyped myself as a two. So like, I get yeah, it. Yeah, 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 Um, Yeah, I mean, I definitely am always trying to help and love people so they don't leave me. And um. I can definitely get in that frame of mind in my marriage too, where I'm just like doing everything for him because at the heart, I'm, I'm afraid that, you know, I have this narrative in my mind that if, if people knew how terrible I was, they'd all leave me. And like, that's, that's a real thing that I'm constantly working on with a therapist and also just like, I have to like say it out loud so that I can hear how, how wrong it is. Like when I hear it come out of my mouth, I know that like, I haven't done anything bad. I'm not a bad person, but if I keep it in my head, it just, it spirals round and round and round. And so, you know, in a, in a situation where he's gone and I'm not able to keep everything perfect about our house and my health and our dog, you know, like when things start going wrong, which they always do, I can get really afraid that he's, he's going to be disappointed and ultimately leave because I couldn't handle things back here at home. And so, yeah, that's definitely my two showing up and it sucks, but enough to share that. Um, Cause the thing about <laughs> the thing about the Enneagram that I'd like, I try to make known and to have under people, have people understand is that um, first of all, this is deep shit and mm-hmm. Secondly, this is not the kind of stuff that you actually want displayed Um, Mm. because there's big, there's this big, you know, distraction method with, with a lot of the, the memes and things that are happening because that's focusing on the behavior. Mm -hmm. It's not focusing on the motivation for why you do those things. And Jessica just eloquently (laughs) described the mental and emotional landscape of a two (laughs) Mm -hmm. and how that personality type is yes inflicting upon her behavior and and controlling it in some way but the motivation behind all of that is if i don't do enough this person will not love me will not like me i will not feel needed and then everything will fall apart Mm -hmm. that is so completely vulnerable to be able to say that and then to not only verbalize it, but then work through those kinds of things with a therapist and understanding all of the defense mechanisms and triggers that happen as a result of that. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can use, use the Enneagram more and more as a filter through which we have these conversations and, and how our personality types 
shape our military life experience because they are they are woven in like this is not <laughs> do you know what i mean like this is not like a separate oh yeah definitely fun, really personality moment like this is this is serious stuff <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah no it's deep it goes back to childhood and maybe even before like maybe even before i was born you know yeah yeah, yeah. well i really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and just sharing everything with us about what it means to be a late career male spouse and also just what it means to be you too. Thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and thanks for facilitating these conversations. It's, it's helpful for people to uh, hear. And it's also just, I'm kind of here processing with you too. So that's, it's good for me to do. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that's hopefully what happens, <laughs> you know, another level of processing happens. But please tell everybody where they can find you online and anything that you'd like to offer them today. Yeah. So um, the best place to find me is on Instagram, jwritelife. Uh, but I also am on Facebook, Write Life Coaching, and have a website, jessicawright.online. And I'm also on LinkedIn, too. So lots of places to find me. And today I'm offering my 12 journal prompts for changemakers. It is a resource I created uh, for you, totally free. And if you want to, if you enjoy journaling, but maybe don't always know what to write about or think about, uh, download this. And I've got a, 12 questions in there. Um, and it's not just one question. I often ask kind of why you started to process the way you did. So you can get in there and get deep. And I'd love to have you download it. Let me know what you think. And if you want to reach out to me about anything, please do. I'm, I'm happy to chat. This resource is amazing, y'all. Like, <laughs> he's asking such incredible questions. And as someone who's also struggled with knowing what to journal, I was like, oh, well, these, these prompts are fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Getting right in there. Getting right in yeah. there. Yeah. And I talk about in the journal that, you know, even if you don't have time to like sit down and write, like consider talking into your into your uh, notes app on your phone or what I don't have an uh, I don't have an iPhone so I don't know what it's called but I hear there's a thing where you can talk into and record yourself um, do that just find a way to you know get it out absolutely well thanks Jessica and thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time These interviews really light up my world, get me jazzed again about what it means to be a late career male spouse and what it means to support other spouses amongst this category. If you could please take a moment to rate and review the podcast in general or give some feedback about this episode in particular, I would appreciate it. And as a further step, please share the Heart of a Mill Spouse podcast with your favorite Mill Spouse friend. Let's get this podcast into the hands of those who could really use the support. As always, I'll be hanging out on Instagram at mill.spouse, and you can find out more information about what it is that I do at jlaray.com. Bye, y'all.